Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Holy cow, are we already talking about episode 121? I can't believe it. Where has the time gone? I'm speaking just after the news came out that you're not going to believe this, but price inflation is still high. And this surprised economists, and I should say it didn't surprise them that much. They did still expect it to be high, but they didn't think it would be as high as it was. It came out at 8.3% year over year. I think they were looking for 8.1. And for the quarter itself, it came out at 0.1% when they were looking for it to actually go down 0.1%. And since we're talking about that, I thought that maybe I would just update everybody on the Fed's balance sheet. So remember, the Fed is still raising the rate on their federal funds rate, which, as I've said before, does not really lower the money supply to the degree that it used to. It's really hard to say this because there's all kinds of measures of the money supply. So I thought maybe I'd clarify one more time that there is the money that the Fed creates when it, let's say, buys a security on the open market and then dollars go out into the banking system. Now, over the last 14 years, they've gone into this pool called excess reserves, which are not even out in the economy that then the bank has to consciously tap into. But in any case, money goes out from the Fed to the banking system. And then the banking system has the opportunity to create further money that the Fed did not create. And I guess this is the one thing I haven't said before, and that's why I wanted to clarify it, that, and I think most people know this, that there used to be what's called a fractional reserve. It's still fractional. It's zero now. But they used to, the bank used to have to keep at least 10% of the money deposited with it on hand in case people want to withdraw it. And they would actually lend out the other 90%. Now, because they have these big excess reserves, they just lend it all out as far as I know, or or else park that money back in the excess reserves pool. 
So when the Fed raises interest rates, it does dampen lending because, you know, and this is a kind of fuzzy, but if it's raising the a rate that banks are lending themselves overnight, then of course they're not going to lend out to the public at much greater risk for anything less than that. So by dampening lending, the Fed is actually shrinking the money supply insofar as new money created by banks when they lend out. But it's not shrinking the amount of money that it originally put into the economy, which I'm not even sure what they call base money, even that there isn't more to that because there's so many definitions. But basically, the money that the Fed has put out into the economy when they started this tightening cycle was $8.975 trillion, at least on net. That was the net amount out, counting all the money the Fed created. And then, of course, the money that gets destroyed as money comes into the Fed to pay interest on those securities it holds, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll remember that before the pandemic, the Fed's balance sheet, which represents the total amount of outstanding dollars out there, not counting the multiplied dollars banks create, that it was around $4.3 trillion. And then they created another $5.6 trillion, something along those lines. So their balance sheet went from $4.3 up to $8.975, I believe was the peak. And I'm looking at it right now, and as of today, it's at 8.873 so trillion. So it's down about $100 billion, which when you consider that it has created over $5,500 billion, that hundred is not all that much. So they haven't shrunk the outstanding base money supply very much. M2, which is a good measure of the money, including all the multiplied money, the money that's been lent out and then lent out again and multiplied that way. That was at $15.3 trillion in February of 2020. It peaked in April of 2022 at $21.8 trillion. And right now it's around $21.6 trillion. So the money supply hasn't really shrunk at all during this time, during these rate raises. And there's a lot of different explanations for that. We should remember that these rate hikes that the Fed are, are doing are still well below the rate of inflation. So we've really got negative interest rates here, which makes a good case that people like John Tamney make that at least these open market operations are no longer really relevant because they're always chasing the real interest rate, which is a lot higher than wherever they're at right now, 2.5%. They say they're going to go another 75 points and everybody's shaking in their boots and that'll take it up to 3.25. If you remember, it was up over six back before the great financial crisis of 2008 so these are still historically low rates. They're negative in real terms since they're much lower than the rate of inflation. So about the best you can say about the Fed is that they're not continuing to 
pump in more ridiculous amounts of new base money. That's about all you can say. And even that, as you can see, is enough to shake up the stock markets. I'm going to have an expert on on the stock markets soon. I'm just waiting to confirm a date. It might be as early as the next episode. But anyway, I'm not surprised that inflation hasn't gone down much. Now, you remember, naturally, after a while, it will decrease on its own because when you're talking about year-over-year inflation, well, pretty soon you're getting to the point where it's already been a year since the prices were high. So as you have inflation over an extended period of time, price inflation, you're starting to compare the new prices to much higher ones in the past. Okay, so I would expect that the percentage would go down. That we could have deflation is something that's unlikely. Although I've heard some people in the general realm of our way of thinking saying we just might have that as early as next year. So it's very hard to say we're really beyond the looking glass of any connection to reality as far as stock markets and the financial world is concerned and the real economy, really. We've got all of this money slushing around, funding all kinds of wacky stuff. And I've said many times before, the worst thing about Federal Reserve inflation is not that prices go up. It's that there's so much malinvestment and so many people who spent years of their lives working in sectors that did not need their services, in some cases don't need anyone's services, wacky business plans that are never going to work, or even in legitimate sectors that expanded too much because of the false price signals sent by inflation. So that's an update on the Fed and inflation. I'll post some links to the money supply charts that I mentioned and the Fed's balance sheet so you can take a look for yourself. There's many previous episodes on the Fed. The other thing I wanted to concentrate on today, I was kind of singing the blues on the weekend about the freedom movement, the podcast, and I really actually had forgotten it was September 11th. And my initial point was that although the podcast is growing, my Substack and Patreons are both growing, I'm actually making money on this. I never thought I would. It's become increasingly obvious to me that in order to have mass appeal of the kind that can change the political landscape, And certainly, even if I had millions of followers, even that would not change the political landscape on its own. We've got plenty of people who, although I might not agree with them, like Ben Shapiro, who do have millions of followers. And of course, they're making a difference, but on their own, they can't change the landscape. In any case, to make any kind of a difference, it seems to me like you have to lie to the audience. And of course, I'm preaching to the wrong choir here. I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are already here. And as far as I can tell, I've never lied to the audience. I certainly don't try to. But you have to tell them that societal problems, the reason the United States isn't freer, the reason that we don't have a more just society is because of some shadowy bad guys that if only we could expose them and let 
you know, the general public know they've been duped by these people, that they're up to no good, that suddenly we would have a free society. And people, that just ain't true. It just isn't true. As much as I'd like to believe it's true, it isn't. And as part of this, again, I had forgotten it was 9-11, so I bumped into the 9-11 truthers. And I forgot all about them, too, to be honest with you. i just forgotten about the whole 9-11 thing, which is a healthy thing. All of America should forget about 9-11. You may have seen the piece I wrote called The Never Forgetters and the Truthers Abet the Totalitarian State. And, you know, what is it that we should never forget? Well, of course, it was a terrible attack. And, of course, we shouldn't just forget that 3,000 people died and they've all got families. So you're talking an impact on 30,000 or 300,000, however many people cared about those people who died. And that was certainly a tragedy. But it's a tragedy for them. It's 20-some years ago. And for all the people saying never forget, they're not talking about the victims. Unless you believe that the victims were all of America. And this is what these people want you to think, that you know somehow this was an attack on America. Certainly the people who did it hated America. And some people might say with some good reason, because they associate all of America with what its government has done over in the Middle East over the past 30 years. And basically, it's been up to no good and killed a lot more than 3,000 people, more like millions, even before 9-11. So what these never-forgetters, I guess, are telling us is that we have to, I don't know, what do we have to do? If, what if we did forget? What would, ha- what would anyone do differently if they forgot about 9-11? But a lot of that comes as talking points from the military-industrial complex. They want funds to keep flowing for the war on terror, such as it is, even though that's now coming home to America. And they put these talking points out there, and then people mindlessly repeat them, especially people who have families in the military. They've deluded themselves into thinking that somehow they're preventing terrorist attacks, If you notice, since we stopped fighting the wars over there, to some extent, the terrorist attacks have stopped. And it's not like the wars made any contribution to that. I was saying when even they first were talking about going into Afghanistan, what rational person could conclude that sending 140,000 guys in uniform overseas into a country that had nothing to do with the attack. And let's say even if it did have something to do with the attack or it was harboring Osama bin Laden, who I also think had nothing to do with the attack, by the way, not that people who think like him didn't, but in any case, how is that going to stop this asymmetric crime by a few people, a civilian attack like 9-11? Of course it's not to go over there and fight a World War II-style war, or the best you can do, against the Taliban military and the Pashtun guerrillas. Of course, that's not going to prevent a terrorist attack. And as you notice, as we were fighting those wars, we had a lot more terrorist attacks. And they've since stopped, at least by Islamists. 
So it never made sense. And I thought maybe after the Boston Marathon bombing, again, it's a tragedy. I don't want to diminish it in any way, but that it would sink in that fighting these wars, which were at their height at that point, is not going to do anything to stop this kind of civilian terrorist attack. And it didn't, of course. The the Sarnoff brothers were not deterred at all by armies fighting over in Afghanistan. In fact, they cited that as their reason for blowing up the Boston Marathon. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that, plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. So the war on terror as a military exercise never did any good. It did nothing but harm. It wasted our money. We killed a few thousand of our own people and millions of innocent people among maybe one or two terrorists that maybe hit in the barrage. But again, very unlikely because the people who did 9-11, most of them died. They caught a few more that were involved. And these were not soldiers. These were civilian terrorists. So the war on terror was a complete waste. Never forgetting is just what good comes out of never forgetting 9-11. Tell me. I don't understand. Because the only thing I could see is support for more militarism, which caused the attack and which caused future attacks after that. But it's already getting late in the podcast, and I still haven't gotten to my main subject, which is the truthers that I got into a little kerfluffle with. And I'll tell you right now that even when it happened, I didn't think the government was involved. But the very first thing I said when I first heard that they flew planes into the World Trade Center is I turned to a friend and I said, they're going to say the government did this. was the first thing that came into my mind was that people were going to say that. And I wasn't sure that they didn't do it at the time. It certainly is not beyond my imagination that the government could be this evil. I mean, believe me. But the first thing I said was, they're going to say the government's going to do this. And the next thing I said was, Bush will be in Iraq within a year. Because I knew George Bush wanted to go to Iraq. Anybody who listened to his campaign knew he wanted to go into Iraq. 
And of course, the neocons had been nagging even as early as Bill Clinton's administration for the United States deep state to go into Iraq. So I knew this was the excuse he was going to use. I predicted a year. I think it turned out to be 17 months or something. So it did happen. But I never thought that it was an inside job for a lot of reasons. Number one, just picture the former male cheerleader, twerp, George W. Bush. This guy did not have the brains or the cojones to perpetrate something like this. And as evil as he looks when he smiles, neither did Dick Cheney, the chicken hawk. These people had too much to lose by perpetrating something like that. You got to remember that when people get elected to political office, their number one priority is to stay in office. So first of all, the attacks make the government look bad because their security was a joke. And, you know, for all the people who are like, I can't believe that with all this security, these guys with box cutters, oh, I completely believe it. I worked in the security industry for like 14 years, mainly corporate, but still there's a lot of mixture between corporate and government security. And the government security apparatus is a joke. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows the TSA is a joke. But believe me, this this master, the government does not suddenly become competent when it does like intelligence and security and even the military. All the things that you associate with the DMV or the Department of Education, all those forces are still at work in the security apparatus. So it is not surprising to me at all that some people that had nothing else to live for, obviously, figured out a way to walk past this gigantic, bloated, tax-consuming apparatus. And by the way, there's a lot of good people in it, good individuals. But like every other government program, it has backwards incentives. Its incentives are to grow, to get more funding, to do less with more. So even the good people that work in the apparatus are either stymied, and I've met a lot of them that are just very cynical, thought they were going in there and, well, I'm going to really protect truth, justice in the American way, (laughs) and found out I'm in a bureaucracy. I might as well work at the DMV. It's a little safer. And I already went through how, like, early on, people were giving me the you know, it looks like a controlled demolition. And I honestly looked at it. Now, these people showing me these videos weren't engineers. And yes, I am aware of the 9-11 Engineers for Truth, whatever they're called. I knew about them 20 years ago. I've read their stuff. I don't think it was. It looked like a controlled demolition. The North Tower did not sink into its footprint. It tipped over and smashed into a bunch of other buildings. Actually, Building 7 did not tip over into its footprint. It smashed into other buildings, one of which had to be demolished merely from the damage done by Building 7. So it didn't look like a controlled demolition to me. It doesn't really matter to me. It's possible that the government perpetrated 9-11, but it's improbable in the extreme. And I'll suggest something to you that just popped into my head, so I'm kind of stream of consciousness here, but there's a lot of from the left, there's a lot of the idea that people want power just for power's sake. And that's another thing that I don't believe. 
And if you notice, even in movies like V for Vendetta, the guy at the top, he just wants power. He doesn't want anything else. But that's not really what motivates tyrants. At the end of the day, tyrants do want power, but they want power as a means to an end. And the end is unearned wealth. That's what they really want. And this is what's missing from most pop culture, anti-totalitarian fiction. It's what's missing from 1984. It's what's missing from Brave New World. I don't know if, he, if Huxley was so much a lefty. But the thing that the lefties never want to go near when they are talking anti-totalitarianism is the fact that it's all about taking people's property away. Because at the end of the day, freedom and even your life is a subset of your property. And you could see why even people that we like, Glenn Greenwald and people like that, would not want to make the argument on those terms because they want to invade your property as well. And that's not to take away any of the good work that they do on these other areas. But but. Again, I say I am inclined to believe that the 9-11 attacks occurred just as we saw on television. I did write, and I do believe that the FBI knew about these people because in their arrogance, their hubris, one of the tactics they frequently employ is to let criminal conspiracies go for a while so that they can either infiltrate them or be able to charge the people that are involved with more. Now, I should clarify, and maybe my written piece wasn't so clear on this, I don't think that's what happened with something like the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping. In that case, they actually made up the crime, and they do a lot of that too. But when they are actually out there investigating people who aren't part of the FBI, who are plotting something, They'll often let it go for a while and either you know embed somebody there or not. But what they want to do is up the charges. They want to make sure it gets far enough along so they can charge the people with as serious a crime as possible. Because early on, eh, it's just some people talking. And then the more actions they take in the perpetration of the conspiracy, the more they can make these charges stick. Now, of course, they believe that they're just masters of the universe and, you know, the chess masters who are maneuvering these inferiors into position. And every once in a while, it backfires. Now, we know this is what they did with the underwear bomber, right? Because he just walked onto the plane. He didn't even have a passport. And what they were trying to do was let him go along get into the United States and maybe follow him to other people, supposedly. So there's a lot of arrogance in this. And luckily, the underwear bomber had the IQ of a donut and didn't construct a bomb that would go off even in his underwear. So that was averted, but not because of any security apparatus. Remember, they they let him on the plane. I'm sure they didn't mean to let him on the plane with a bomb, but he waltzed right by TSA with a bomb in his pants. So not surprised at all at 9-11. And here's what's important about 9-11. What's important was that the public went along with everything that came after it. And let me say it this way. 
let's pretend the government really did perpetrate 9-11. It was completely an inside job. It still doesn't justify and excuse the public's tolerance for the spying, for the wars, for the whole totalitarian state that that ushered in. Not that there wasn't totalitarianism before that, but this ramped it up by orders of magnitude, and most Americans cheered it on. That's the problem. And it doesn't matter whether it was an inside job or not. That's the problem. Over 10 years later, Edward Snowden exposed it all, told everybody, look, they're spying on you, not terrorists. They're turning your cell phones on at will. They're videotaping you. They're keeping all your email and phone records, and nobody cares. That's the problem. Whether the 9-11 attacks were legitimate or a government PSYOP or whatever that's called, neither one excuses the public for accepting what they did. And this goes for COVID as well. Now, I also believe that COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 is a real virus. Did it warrant anything the government did? No. Why did the government do it? Because so many people went along. Not everybody. And believe me, we got to get out of our echo chamber. All you listening are saying, well, I don't know anybody who is for this. Well, yeah, we know people that think like we do. But go out in your neighborhood. We spend so much time online. Go knock on 20 doors and ask how many people think the lockdowns didn't do anything. I know lots of intelligent people that are still arguing they made a difference. That's the problem. It's not shadowy elites that are plotting that's the problem. Do they plot? Yes, they do. The Great Reset, of course, I wouldn't call that shadowy. Klaus Schwab and that other guy that talks about AI taking over everything, I mean, they're doing this out in the open. They're publishing this stuff. You can go read it yourself. It was in Time Magazine. Them plotting is not the problem. In fact, I would go so far as to say they have a right to talk about the things they do, don't they? Isn't that what free speech is all about, especially to talk about political ideas without fear of reprisal? Yes. The problem with the Great Reset is that everyone's going to go along with it. In fact, a good portion of the population who put those stupid, we can do this, symbols on their Facebook pages and take pictures of themselves wearing masks, those people will go along with the Great Reset and help vilify all the people who question it. That's the problem. So I don't say this to make everyone feel hopeless. Sometimes I feel hopeless, but usually I don't. But I do say it because energy spent trying to expose secret conspiracies is wasted energy because the problems that we have are all chosen by the public. And I'll go back to the Federal Reserve. Yes, a bunch of senators, well, a couple of senators, maybe it was only one, I can't remember, bankers, shadowy figures all went to Jekyll Island and cooked up the Federal Reserve Act. And 
Basically, this is something that had already been proposed by the senator in question, so it wasn't a secret. And then they went and rolled it out, but before it became the Federal Reserve, it had to be voted on, and it had overwhelming support from the public. That's why we have the Federal Reserve. That's why we have the income tax, overwhelming support from the public. That's why we got the New Deal, which is clearly unconstitutional. Overwhelming support from the public elected the guy who put it in place four times. So we have a much harder job than simply exposing shadowy figures in the background. Our job is to persuade the public to think the way the public did for hundreds of years leading up to the 20th century. In 1765, the Stamp Act was so unpopular that any colonial legislator who was suspected of supporting it, mobs of people would take rope to their houses and pull their houses down. A false rumor went around that Benjamin Franklin, who was in England, was supporting the Stamp Act, which he did not. But just that rumor was enough that the mob was actually on the way to his house to pull it to the ground with rope. And his wife and her cousin sat in the kitchen with rifles ready to defend the home. And before the mob could get there, a local official intervened and persuaded them it was a false rumor. But I'm telling you this just to give you an idea of what public support for these kinds of things or the absence thereof was like in 1765. And I don't, of course, suggest that anyone pull anyone's house down or commit any acts of violence or vandalism because it's not necessary. Simple disobedience is enough. How far we've come from that, where we have a majority or a significant minority of the public that's working for the government for free to vilify anybody who pushes back. That's the problem. It doesn't matter if people are plotting. Everything we get, the public chooses. And when they do oppose something, it does get repealed. Like prohibition, it just doesn't happen very often. So That's my message for today. Maybe that sheds a little more light on my recent social media kerfluffles and also the written piece I put out. Thanks for all the people who joined, by the way. (laughs) I'm I'm complaining that you have to tell people what they want to hear, and I put this piece out and had a bunch of people join from that one. So thank you to all the new members. And of course, everybody who's listening, I appreciate you supporting the show. Don't forget, this weekend, I will be exhibiting at the... Libertarian Party of New York State Convention, which is going to be at the Sheraton Hotel in Niagara Falls, New York. It looks like it's got a nice view of the falls. Most of the hotels down there do. I live about a half hour away, so I won't be staying at the hotel, but I'll be there all day and Friday evening as well for the reception. So if you are going to the convention, then please do stop by my table Say hello. Love to meet as many fellow freedom fighters in person as I can. 
so many I know online for 15 years now, and I've still never met some of them. But come by and say hello, and I've got to have plenty of goodies there that if you wanted to pick up a CD to help support the show, I'll have my music CDs. I'll have some Tom Mullen Talks Freedom merchandise. Looks like that means coffee cups so far. You can get a free copy of the ebook there and all kinds of other things. So think about coming to the convention if you're within driving distance. And also remember that if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up to either my Patreon or my Substack at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. And if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.